Blue Tiger Revenge, brought to you by Narpig. Hit the music. Awkward silence. That's right, because we're back for another episode from the Super Beast, the Mega Predator, the... I don't know. I don't know either. Of the comic book landscape. Some say the greatest podcast in comic book history. All say. Not just some. They all say it. That's right. This is Blue Tiger Revenge Podcast. And I am comic book creator Tag Lucia, and with me is the king of beards, the man who's wanted by not only hordes of adoring fans, yep. but his mom needs him to call him immediately, oh, right now. Yes. And <laughs> Big Brian Bales. How's it going, man? Good. Good. So... <laughs> We're a little thrown off right now, yeah. Because uh, mom, right as we're about ready to, we're right sitting down under the hot seat, ready to hit record, yep. and your mom's like, "Call me now." I need you to call me right now. Right, and, right. And when your mom sends a text like that, imagination is just like, well, yeah. And I'm right? dealing with my, you know, my grandma right now. Uh, yeah. You know, not being well, and so I'm just like, "What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It. Uh, I was kind of like, "Oh God." Uh, we've been working to schedule this uh, interview for. Uh, we're gonna. I might have to. I might have to call him up and say, uh, "Hey, it's off." <laughs> yeah, it'd be like, "Oh, again? Cool." Yeah, yeah, again, <laughs> again. That's right. That's right. Tiger Cubs. This is an interview that is two years in the making because Correct. we'd actually interviewed him, Mr. Jonathan Case. He'll be coming in in about ten minutes or so. We interviewed him. A couple years and ago. Yeah. A couple years ago. At the start of the project, he's now finished. Is is on shelves, I believe, like as of right now or as of Should be yesterday. soon if it's not right now, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and then uh, that something happened and boom. Scott, well, we, I think you lost everything, right? Didn't your like, computer crash or something? Yeah. We lost yeah. all the data, all the old episodes, all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Lost into the ether. But he was a casualty of that... Uh, Technological snafu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, I'm a piece of garbage, and that's just yeah. That's how I should open the show. That's right, Blue Tiger Revenge. I'm comic book creator Tag Lucian. With me is the towering piece of shit before you. <laughs> yes. Garbage beard, Brian Bales. Wow. Ooh, that see that Ooh, he might have taken that, it just a a tad too far. Wow. Would you say it's a tad too much? It's a tad too much, yeah. You know, that was my first website. Oh, I, and th- that's your PayPal. That's your PayPal name. I know. A tad too yeah. much. It's yeah, there you go, folks. You want to send me some cash just because you love me. It's tad terrible. too much. That's it's terrible. 
So uh, for uh, Mr. Case comes into the old tiger den, uh, I sent you something today that um, now I know you've got a big old bat beef with the Batman. Um, but uh, what do you think of the deleted scene that I thought was a very cool like marketing tool that they released? The director released the deleted scene with uh, the Joker. It was a cool. Uh, it was a cool scene. Yeah, it was a cool, it was cool scene, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I, we've seen so many. We've seen so many iterations. Per, yeah, every every Batman iteration so far has had Joker. So, I mean, I get it. He's the most popular character ever, or mo- the most popular like DC villain. Probably one of the more popular just villains in general. You know, Meanwhile, we we can't get Venom in a Spider-Man movie to save our lives. We can't get Venom in a Spider-Man movie, but <laughs> not a good one, anyway. <laughs> there's uh there's just a ton of uh, in my opinion, I think there's Batman just has a great rogues gallery. Like, uh, let's see, uh, let's give us some more, give us some more freaking uh, villains other than just Joker. Um, I will say I I like that he the way they had it set up where Batman he's already caught. Like that story yeah. arc has already played out, and he's in like Arkham Asylum. Because if you haven't seen the clip, folks, I, it's on YouTube. So yeah. if you don't want to hear this, like scoot ahead ten minutes into the interview. Um, but uh, you know, he goes to him to get information, and I, I thought it was interesting that the information he's getting is he's asking about somebody who's similar to himself, which I thought was more of a bigger kind of thing. Of like, are they hinting at like, you know, we were talking like, are they bringing in like the phantasm? Because they said like a oh a mass vigilante like yourself uh, like the Joker it was just interesting I liked that they figured they they didn't there was no backstory for their relationship they're very well aware of each other there's a history already yeah and I, I thought that was cool and I like the fact yeah, we that don't, Joker we don't didn't need have to see makeup. another Joker Batman origin you know what I mean no no and I like they didn't have the makeup on. Like normally, you know, like even in the the Christopher Nolan movies, yeah. he had the makeup on all the time. He never took it off, you know. Really, we never saw him without it. And it was nice that seeing him like kind of all disheveled, beat up. He's in his like, uh, you know, his uh, prison 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 garb. And yeah, uh, yeah, he had all the acid burns and stuff. Yeah, yeah. What what did you think of that? I mean, I don't. I'm kind of indifferent because I don't know that much about Joker beyond to be honest, but. You've read so much Batman. What did you think of this version of Joker? Did you like it? Did you not like it? I'm just curious. I liked it. I thought it looked. I thought it looked really good. It was shot very well done. Um, I can't remember the actor's name. Barry something. Uh, I thought he did. He did great. Yeah, I think he played like the religious kid. And um, there might be blood, or there will be blood. Oh, okay. I think he played the the gospel kid I hate that. that movie. Um, Really? I, I thought it was one of the most boring movies I've ever watched in my entire life. Oh, my. Well acted. God. What, I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't like production-wise, but I was bored And you went to film mind. school. No, I took a film class. Like, I, oh, you know. okay. That's true. And That's again, true. It, I, it's nothing about the production. I just, the movie just didn't, uh, I don't know. I, I would challenge you to watch it again like when that movie yeah. came out i i was in art school and like we all like went and saw it and talk i mean we talked about it for weeks afterwards just sure. because there was just like there's so much power to it and sure. stuff like that but i can understand not being into it yeah it just wasn't uh i mean i i haven't seen it in a well over 10 years i remember being bored to death by it um, yeah 
I maybe now as a more with a more refined palette. But my, is my palette it. more refined? I mean, I don't know. No, you're like, dude, Zack Snyder's got a new movie coming out. <laughs> Michael Bay just signed a huge Netflix contract. It's going to be awesome. Oh, man. I saw Michael Bay's last Netflix movie. It was not good. Which um, one was that? I don't think Six I saw Underground. It. I did not see it. It sucked. Looked great, oh. but it sucked. Yeah, well, everything looks great now, yeah. right? Really? Yeah. If it's one of those things. If you see a movie with like that looks bad, you're like, "What happened? How? How is this even possible?" I feel like if it looks bad, it maybe it looked bad on purpose. I don't know. Um, mm, I don't know. Go to Tubi. I like. I watch Tubi a lot because they have a lot of old movies from the '70s, which you know I'm a big. I like that stuff. Yeah. But they, it's interesting how many. There's a bunch of movies that they've been adding on there that were made like right before the pandemic or during the oh, pandemic okay. like overseas and you watch them and like i was watching some trailers a few days ago and it was interesting because i thought they were all like 95 96 based oh, wow. off the like the and cgi they pull out their iphones and you're like what the <laughs> yeah yeah like you're watching they're the trailer low, and like god budget I mean, yeah, it's just it was one of those. They were they looks the production value was so bad, like a lot, of, like it didn't even, like a lot. Some of them looked like they were filmed with like VHS, yeah, you know. Like yeah. it was, it was weird. It was really, really weird. Like it was all filmed with like tape, not film. It's strange. You know what movie I I watched the other day that I that I actually did enjoy a lot more than I thought I would was mm. uh, the new Ryan Reynolds movie on uh, Netflix, The Adam Project, with him and Mark Ruffalo, Jennifer Garner. It's a um, big cast. Good. Yeah, it was really. It was like very good. Yeah, it was uh, charming. It was fun. Um, Isn't that something to do with like time travel? Right? Yeah, yeah. He okay. travels back in time to try and save his wife, and then he ends up at with like twelve year old him. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's pretty fun. And Mark Ruffalo is his dad. Uh, so it's pretty good. Oh, Jennifer Garner was his mom. So, you know, if you've ever seen 13 going on 30, maybe this is the sequel because, you know, Jennifer Garner, Mark Ruffalo are in that. So there it oh, is. There, wow. Look at me. Wow. I'm impressed. Look at me. I've never seen. I don't know what 13 going on 30 is. I'm yeah, guessing it's uh, yeah. like a kid's kids movie or something. No, it was a, it was a chick flick from like okay. the early 2000s. You know, I'm out of all the, you know, with all the name changes of things, I'm surprised people still refer to movies as chick flicks. They I, probably you know, don't. I'm going to get canceled for it. But it was a romantic comedy there. Okay. There, there you go. Yeah. It just seems kind of like a, a demeaning. T- Even though, like, that's one of my favorite genres of film. Like, I love watching those movies with uh, the old uh, old doctor wife. Um which I think sometimes she's like, really? You want to watch this? this? No. Come you, on. You know what I did start watching, though? The Righteous mm. Gemstones? Thank you. Two years. <laughs> Two years. I've been like, you got to watch it. Right? Yeah. Oh, it, um, so good. I'm on, I, we're it, about to start it, season two. It hits the nail on the head, doesn't it? With these uh, mega churches? Ev- yeah. 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 And, and the type of personalities that come yeah. out of there or found them or yeah. start. Yeah, I have or, to tell you, I have to tell you, my favorite character, hmm. baby Billy Freeman, man. He's so good. Dude, so, uh, that's uh, Walter Goggins, right? Yeah, who I'm a big fan of Walter Goggins. Um, dude, when he, sh- with the veneers, and he's oh. got the big open, dude, he looks so amazing. Yeah, dude, and the fake tan. Like, why does he look just like Jim Steranko? Was that like a, wow. a production choice? Like, I don't know. But he does. <laughs> he looks he, just like him. Like, put him does. in comparison. <laughs> I'm surprised there aren't more. Well, I guess 
Yeah, Stranko's kind of his light has uh, or his star has faded a lot. Well, so is Baby Billy Freeman's. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, <laughs> oh man, um, yeah, they do kind of have the same. Some misbehaving. <laughs> so good. You got I. You know what's crazy is I didn't realize. I mean, like, I like Walter God because I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. But, yeah. man, you realize, like, that dude can fucking do everything. He's so talented. Oh, he's great. He's, he's such a talent. Like, he can sing. He can act his ass off. He can dance a little bit. I loved bit. him in, uh, in Justified. That's probably my favorite thing that he was in. Okay, uh, that was kind of the thing that made him, like... Uh, Put him on the put him on the map. I think. I mean, I was more of a Walter Goggins fan, like when he was in like, um, uh, what's Karate Kid three? Oh, shit, um, he was in Karate Kid three, wasn't he? He, he played one of the thugs. Oh the, my god! The third one was with the girl, right? No, that's with, next um, Karate Kid. Okay, it was next Karate Kid. He's yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sorry, he was in Karate Kid four. Yeah, he played one of the like thugs from the rival. Oh, okay. Which when are we gonna see Hillary Swank and Cobra Kai? Like, let's do it. And you think they could? Well, she might do. She what is she doing these days? She exactly. She'll show up. Exactly. Wow. Wow. <laughs> she could be like winning Emmys, and you're like, listen, drop what you're doing and get over get there on Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, and you know, rehash the glory days. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's won like an Academy Award. You know that with kind of Clint stuff. Eastwood. Yeah. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Sure, let me go hang out with Ralph Macchio. Like, <laughs> yeah, and a guy who has, and the other guy who's great, but hasn't uh, done much since Karate Kid. Yeah. Like, he's still known as John. Johnny Lawrence, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. I haven't watched the latest season of Karate Kid. It was Kid. good. I enjoyed it. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, did you read some books for today? No. You didn't read anything? Dude, I've been, like, between our last podcast episode. That yeah. we recorded on Monday, and then this. Dude, I've been swamped. Swamped as in with work or yeah. swamped ass? <laughs> the work. <laughs> okay. Bry. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. A little bit of both. A little bit of both. A little bit. No, it's not hot enough out yet, so. Yeah. It uh, Weirdly, it was snowing last night here at the house. Weird. Yeah, I mean, it's been warm like in the, you know, like... Well, by warm, it's like, oh, it's been 35. My yeah. God, it's cooking up here. I do, but, uh, I do have a good weekend coming up, though. I got, you know, uh-huh. sa- yeah, Saturday. Uh, Saturday, I'm going to go do some fishing. And then uh, Sunday, I got a golf tournament that I'm playing in. So it should be a good weekend. And then, oh, that sounds nice. And then that will exhaust me, and I'll be dead. So There you go. Yeah. Ready to start the work week all That's over right. again. <laughs> well, on that note, let's get to work. And, uh Hang out with Mr. Case. Let's do it. Check one, two. And we're back with. Well, he's not actually. He's actually a returning guest. <laughs> Uh, if we want to be technical, I feel like I'm in the hot seat now. Oh yeah, it's you're getting roasted this entire episode, my Good. man. Good. Uh, yeah, Mr. Jonathan Case. What's uh, up, man? W- welcome back. Thank you very much for having me back. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Good. It's uh, been a while. You, um, I mean, well, we won't beat around the bush. Uh, you got a new book that just yeah, came out, or it's about to come out. 
Yeah, it's going to come out April 5th. It's April the 5th. launch date. Yeah. Okay, April 5th. Little Monarchs. Ready to rock. Little now, you, you sent me this morning a PDF, and... <laughs> I, I tried. I tried to get as far as I could into. I got about twenty-two pages. From what I saw, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, I should have uh, sent you to, sent that to you long ago, but uh, there's only so many things I can remember right now, Tad. Yeah, I know. I know. You're a busy man. Busy man. Uh, well, I, I you know I like the I love seeing old school art, and you're. I, I would say the epitome of the old school guy, man, like you, it's all like watercolor. It's ink. It, I mean, it's a gorgeous looking book. Um, I guess kind of break it down yes. what it's about. Obviously we're going to talk about other stuff because no, I haven't great. seen you in two years, but uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, break us down. Little Monarchs, man. Okay. So Little Monarchs is a long-term project for me that I started because I was thinking about becoming a dad. So my kids are, well, I have a 10-year-old and a four-year-old now. So this was a long time ago that I had the inkling of what this would be. And I had published my first book, which was Dear Creature. And uh, I had pitched this as a follow-up book to that. And it just didn't work out with um, Dear Creature's first publisher, Tor Books, because they were wanting to do black and white. And I knew I wanted it to be color. Yeah, I wanted it to be... Um, just really richly colorful. And so anyway, it, it, the, the long story short, it's been this project that's been my focus and my passion for all of those years and everything else that I've done has sort of been in support of the book. Oh, wow. Um, and it was, uh, you know, initially the inspiration was, yeah, I want to do a book that will get me more out into the natural world having some real adventures of my own because my life up to that point had a lot of it had been kind of living other people's dreamscapes, you know, like taking yeah. other people's media or taking other mm -hmm. people's experiences and filtering that through, you know, my own lens and then mashing it up and seeing what I, what I created. And I, I wanted not only to make something that was more based on, lived experience uh, out in the world, but also I needed more practical skills as a dad. Like if I was going to raise kids, I just wanted to be able to offer them something more than like, have you seen this episode of the Simpsons where, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> not that that doesn't have rich value. Right. Does. Yeah. Cause like when you were illustrating it, you and the family would be actually out camping. You guys had like a, some type of like setup. You had like the, like a fold out tent that would pop out the outside of the rig and you had a whole setup. And like, I remember like, seeing all the hammock pictures too. Oh yeah. yeah. So I, I thought that was so cool. Cause like I dream about doing that, but I haven't figured out a way to facilitate that at this point. Yeah. You just got to buy a, an old rig, an old dependable rig. If you can old find one. Well, I can, I've, I've, <laughs> We got an old CRV. I could probably uh, do something with that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Use what you have. Yeah, we just we did a big road trip around the Western states primarily, which is, you know, there's several monarch butterfly migrations. And I, I landed on monarchs because they migrate, because that would be a thing that would get me out on the road traveling and following them through new places. Um, so the Western migration is basically our side of the Rocky Mountains 
and over to the coast and they overwinter in these California groves along the coast from about San Francisco down to the border with Mexico. And uh, for the book tour that's coming up, we're going to be kind of reliving a lot of that same journey. I'll be hitting a lot of the libraries and bookstores and schools and some museums even um, along that route. So it's kind of like a a homecoming this April. We'll we'll go out on the road for like, five or six weeks and oh, man. Take, take the kids out of school and, you know, do a little homeschool thing for the 10 year old. And, oh, and dude, that's that's like a blast. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that, it's, that sounds yeah, awesome. Yeah. So the book is, it's a road trip book. It's a natural world kind of book. Um, it's a, it follows this brilliant biologist in a kind of future earth scenario after um, most of the mammal life on the planet is gone. Um, this woman has discovered um, what it, what ends up being like a, a medicine that she she and this little girl take that allows them to live above ground in sunlight. They're the only two people, <laughs> essentially, that can do that. Um, and so the the whole world is their oyster. It's kind of you know the, in the zombie movie or whatever the post apocalyptic movie is, or the or the book there are always those little moments where the characters get to just explore and kind of be masters of their domain. Mm -hmm. And and that's more what this book is for the bulk of it. Um, You know, there's certainly conflicts that come up with, uh, you know, man versus nature, man versus man, all of that. But uh, it's really about the natural world coming back into focus. Um, kind of after our time and uh that's just kind of a way for it to be all all those natural world things to be front and center um so yeah book book tour and all that is is kind of it's all woven in for me it's all kind of one thing and so i'm I'm excited to finally be sharing it with the world there's your 20 minute synopsis (laughs) (laughs) There, I, one of the things that I was really, um, I really, really liked is um, you inserted, uh, you know, like in the opening sequence, uh, the two characters, the, the, is it a mother and daughter? Uh, mother figure. Yeah. She's not mother her figure. biological mom, but she, um, she's kind of filling that role. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Well, they're like kayaking, but you had a whole sequence. that was all about like not, not time, but you actually had like inserted diagrams of like how to tie the knot and i really like that that's That's one of those things that like you don't see very often it's usually like look the knot's tied you know like fingers move and then there's knots there but you actually like Uh broke it down like in like a side diagram and um, i'm guessing there's that kind of stuff throughout the entire book and then you had like some i seemed like some like almost like scientific illustrations of you know different things here and there is that yeah so there's part yeah there's a lot going on there where um the woman is a a naturalist and so she's really good at naturalist illustration and every once in a while this little girl who's sort of emulating her will be writing her own notebooks and the kind of the biologist needs to keep this kid busy so she's giving her assignments and things and so some of the exposition and the how you learn about the world is through this little girl's journal entries where she's emulating this adult and how she draws and how she analyzes the world. And so, 
um, yeah, every once in a while she'll, you'll see like in a, in one of LV, the little girl's, um, notebook pages, she'll like have, um, a piece of paper ripped, ripped out of one of Flora's notebooks and it's taped in there. And so the drawing style is completely different. It's more oh. articulate. It's more like a naturalist illustration that you'd think of from the 19th century or something. That's awesome. And then you, and then there's yeah. like the little girl's version of it, which is more like scribbly. So it's a, it was a chance for me to play with style. Yeah. Now I got to ask because it's a little girl drawing. You have young ladies of yourself. Did they get, did they do any of the drawings for the book? No, I, I, I'm too much of a control freak for that. And also, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, you have to think about like how long these things take. Like my kid was not exactly the right age. Maybe when I was working on some of the art for certain sections, I don't know. It's just like when you're, when you're doing page 10 and it's like four years later and you, you have to be in charge of how all of that aesthetic kind of matches and as best you can, like (laughs) things shift. Yeah. Over four years, but you you try your best to make it all cohesive. Now, can I go a little inside baseball with you? Yeah. Okay. One of the things when I was reading it that I was really blown away with was there's a simplicity, simplicity, but also a super just natural voice that you were able to insert when the two characters were talking to each other in the dialogue. Like it just was, I, you know, most of when you read comics, I know everybody try, does their best. But, you know, it always feels like somewhat scripted to some degree, especially if you're reading kind of like more of like superhero stuff. But one of the things that I took away with even just the small portion of the book that I read of uh, Little Little Monarchs was um, just the dialogue was so like naturally flowing. And you got such a sense of the individual characters personalities from that. Like, uh, was there anything that you did? Did you model it off of how? like your conversations with somebody, I don't know if like maybe it's like your wife or, you know, your oldest daughter or something like that. Cause it was just one of those where I was like, how I'm reading it and I'm going, how the hell did Jonathan get into this like mindset of like these completely different people? Like it was really impressive. Oh, thank you, Ted. I appreciate that. Um, I like writing dialogue and I also, uh, I hate obvious exposition in dialogue. Same here. Um, Same here. That's why I was like, oh, man, how do you do this? (laughs) And it's tricky. I think it's just a matter of um, probably writing way too much and then just refining and refining and refining it down. Um, uh, I certainly have a good editor who, who helped me finesse things. But yeah, the dialogue for me, I think, just comes from, I mean, that is one of the things that I've picked up from watching way too many movies and, and, and reading books yeah. mm-hmm. and finding, finding voices that I like, like Larry McMurtry is great with dialogue. I think what, in the way you said, it's like, there's a simplicity to it, but an authenticity. And um, I would say that would probably be the best way to, it was just super authentic voices. It didn't feel in any way like, like you said, there was no wasted um, exposition by any means. Like it was just, it was, 
you just don't see that very often, especially in comics. And I, I hope nobody out there listening takes that as a dig, but it just <laughs> dig I, intended I, you know, by Tad. You know what I mean? Like you, you pick up you a all book suck. First, even though you know Batman's been around for eighty years, they have to insert like "I'm the Batman" within the first couple pages, and you're like, "Yeah, we know you're dressed sure. as a bat." Yeah, well, How it's a challenge. Like, dare you? you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Comics is, uh, you know, it's a visual medium, and so mm-hmm. I think people prioritize the visual aspect of it, and uh, I think people, a lot of people, probably start writing their comics in a visual sense like doing layouts first and kind of piecing together dialogue simultaneous to the layouts and i have not worked that way i always write script first and do maybe six or seven drafts and then you know an editor gets to it and we do even more like there's a whole lot of uh time spent on the writing i would say at least if not more time on the writing than the art oh really? Uh, oh wow so that's uh, probably different than a lot of how it's done yeah in general would, in comics yeah yeah definitely um when you uh because you're writing for you were you scripting it out like were you scripting out panel by panel or were you leaving it more open like you were describing essentially the events that happen on that page but you were focusing more on like like the dialogue and things like that I, I basically write every element of it. So okay. I don't really leave anything. <laughs> so it's kind of like how um, I think Hitchcock has that famous line about like he didn't enjoy filming the movies because he had already made it three or four times by the time he, you, you know, you're committing something to ca- the camera. You, yeah. you've, you've written it, you've storyboarded it, you've done all of that. So it's not quite the same for me, but Definitely by the time I'm doing the art, I feel like, okay, I've, I've done this like three or four times. I'm it's, it's not too much as surprising at that point. Um, yeah. I feel like I'm going to come off really uh, full of myself. Here. Do it. Do yeah, it. No, no. Like, I, like what I've already said, but I, I do. Um, really respect artists who just jump in. I think Chris Ware is that way where he doesn't plan anything out. He just starts drawing in one corner of the page and then proceeds. And, you know, that's how his books work. And I don't know if he has an editorial process. Um, He probably does, but um, after that, but, you know, it's kind of just whatever works for you. And for me, I've, I've tried to be pretty methodical about it. This book in particular has so much going on with the science and the real world locations. That's a big part of it. I may not have mentioned yet, but every single scene in the book takes place in a real world location that's marked with coordinates and a compass heading in the book. So if if you're a curious family or kid and you're on a summer road trip, you could go like you could follow the character's exact footsteps through the world. Uh, That's, that's really interesting. It's great. Like, you're creating like a real life interaction yeah. for the readers. That's really, that's, not that's really interesting before either. So that's really neat. Yeah. No. No, thank you. So with that comes all of these challenges where you're like, okay, the characters are in the middle of 
nowhere and I need a scene to be a certain way here to fit the rhythm of the storytelling, but how is that going to work with this geography? You know, so yeah. the the complicating factor of all that, like, like that planning, it was much, much harder than anything I'd written before um, because all of that puzzle had to fit together just right. What did you, How did you approach the... Because the, I get the characters are on location, so did you go to those locations in order to get reference for the artwork, or did you just like Google Earth the hell out of the out of the the, the West Coast? No, I so those road trips that I was talking about before, where we would be camping and traveling the Western states, we did those trips because I was gathering locational data and oh, photos so and a reference. So I would have like a compass. And a, a wristwatch with coordinates on my, you know, on one wrist, like, you know, double, <laughs> double bands. And then I would have a camera. So I'd take a picture of something and then I'd take a picture of the direction I was facing and all of that. And I would wow. just load up my camera with uh, that locational reference, take it home, throw out probably <laughs> three quarters of it. Um, okay. And then occasionally, yeah, I would have to supplement with Google Earth. There's this one scene uh, that takes place in Hearst Castle um, yeah. in San Luis Obispo. And I had gathered reference material there on site, but I also needed to do interiors. And I hadn't done the tour where it was like the room that I wanted them to be in. So I had to find that, figure out, okay, what direction does that room face? so that I could block everything correctly. And then the, the most ridiculous um, panel in the book is a really exciting moment where something has all come together for the characters. And I wanted the little girl to be able to run down this tower spiral staircase and exit at the ground level, but I didn't have that photograph. And I didn't have, a, like, what does Hearst Castle look like from a worm's eye view looking up? So I had to, like, go online find a, a 360 video that a tourist had taken. And like at the point of the tour, when they walked by that tower, like rotate it up, then find like, okay, what's a 3D model of a spiral staircase, map it, match it, so that I could have sound effects that are like pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter-patter in the spiral God. shape. Anyway, that, that was a completely ridiculous uh, wow. page, but it was gratifying to in a sick way you're making me feel bad no one I, can say you don't do your research so yeah i <laughs> i i i'm finishing up a i guess a graphic novella for a a film studio but it takes place in prague and uh -huh. most of the stuff is all like actual like in front of actual buildings and stuff yeah and and so it was one of those that really turned into me just like spending godless hours hunting through people's photo journals and YouTube videos, trying to find like, what does the street look like? Cause like it just, it, cause you know, in the script, it would just say, Oh, you could see this certain tower in the background or like, yeah. Oh, it's at this certain museum. They're running down the side street. And I, I've never, you know, I've never even been to Europe. So it was one of those where I was like, yeah, I, I got pretty familiar with certain blocks. Yeah. Let's put it that yeah. way. But I, that's a, so impressive. Like, I mean, we joke like, oh, we should just go to Prague. But I love that fact that you're actually like, well, I just like, well, I guess I'll be an investigative journalist for my own comic yeah. book, yeah. Uh, you know, fictional book. This is going to be great. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, so you know what it's like, like 
there are amazing resources available thanks to the internet and everybody posting a photo of every single place mm. ever. Um, yeah, but even when you, and it's a wonderful resource because there is that situation that I just described where you think you've covered your bases, but you never mm -hmm. cover them entirely. The one thing I did run into that I hated was if it was like a, a certain, like there was a certain like mausoleum that I had to draw, but it was all from like kind of the tour, the tour, all the photos I could find. And I eventually found one like, you know, way, way back from like 20 years ago or something. So I had, you know, it was, there was a little bit of like work around that I had to do, but most 90% of the photos were the same, like eye level angle pointed up at like 60 degrees, taking a picture of this tower, you know, yeah. this thing. And I'm like, yeah, uh, no, I, what, someone take a picture of like, you know, the side exit door, please. Yeah, never. <laughs> <laughs> I never figure out the cobblestones. Okay. Just take a picture yeah. of the ground for me, please, please. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that though because I don't yeah. think a lot of people uh, do that. Like, I think no. everybody likes the idea of um, getting in, that immersed in their project, but um, I don't. I don't know anybody except for you that's actually been like, no, I'm going to go to all these places, and it's purposely like structured around so that we can get reference for this book. That's fantastic. I bet your kids loved it too. Yeah, I. I mean, that was part of the dream was go on these adventures, take them with you, have it all be sort of thematic or kind of the movement of the, whatever this decade or this era of your, my life is like invite my children into it. Cause my biggest fear was if I have kids, I'm going to lose my creative abilities. I'm going to lose that sense of priority with my art and so it was kind of my selfish way of <laughs> figuring out like how to, how to be the cool dad and take them on an adventure, but also be doing something right for my art and my writing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I met, yeah, that is, uh, I could imagine just, I don't have, I don't, I don't have kids and I struggle with finding a way of prioritizing my, my art. I can't, uh, I imagine. Yeah. That was probably a real worry. Yeah, it, it was. And you know, I kids are no joke. They no. will will steal the brain cells and the, yes. the clock. You know, they, the cycles. They, they seem like they dig what you do, though. I saw the video of what you unwrapping. Like, hey, we got the first. Here's the first book, and they're all like celebrated. Uh, I yeah, I don't. Um, at least they weren't like, okay, dad, cool. And yeah. No, I'm I'm very fortunate in that. My my kids are not sports nuts or anything. They're they're, they're nerds like me. So. Do they do they want to follow in your footsteps? At least you know. At least they say they do in this capacity. To say, uh, I don't know exactly what they'll end up doing in terms of creative output, but my ten year old right now in particular is just a creative force she's always making something she's always telling stories oh, cool. whether it's poetry or songwriting you know she's 10 but she's you know writing songs with chord progressions and mm -hmm. uh, she's, you know, she's writing it all out like okay a c you know it's wow. uh and they're good you know they're actually not just dad talk but they're they're good um we've shown <laughs> My wife has kept a lot of her poems and she's shown them to uh, folks and 
you know, like high school teachers. And most of them are like, yeah, the majority of my high school students couldn't write something like that. And, you know, she, and she was seven. (laughs) So she, she has a natural affinity for language and, um, and storytelling for sure. That's awesome. I, I hope she, she stays with that or, you know, uses, her brain uh, in that capacity because it's it's excellent. It's, it's wired that way. So I do have a question, and it's not comic book related. In fact, it's probably more camping related. Okay, so when any anytime you get di- like like I, I live in Alaska, you know, like uh, we're right here, literally can see the Chujak Mountains right in our backyard. There's you know it's a ten minute walk, and then you're into Alaskan wilderness. I'm jealous. And, um, yeah, it's awesome. Uh, not yeah, not to brag, not to brag. Now, the, the, I would say that there's a downside. There's animals that will kill and eat you, and it ha- it happens every year. Um, that's probably the only downside here. Um, but you know, anytime you start camping and backpacking, you you get the gear that you think you're going to need, but then there's always things that you realize, like, yeah. oh shit, like I need this, and this isn't something anyone told me or I read about or anything. Was there any like special while you're like? vacation i say vacation but while you're traveling around following the monarch's path uh was there anything we were like dude we need zip ties is the game changer this has saved our life is there was there any little thing that you just didn't think you would need that ended up being the complete like game changer for your camping experiences oh man i love camp talk so i'm glad we we got on this subject i'm i'm trying to think if there's anything like that where yeah, it was a total game changer. Or like anything you made, like you, because like uh, my buddies and I, we always end up making stuff that's like this is this is it. We should patent this and make a million dollars and never have to work again. <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing that I've made. Um, there are these things that you can build for hammocks called turtle dog stands, and it's essentially like a ridge pole that is yeah. the weight bearing thing in, in the terms of the physics of it. And then you have two tripods on either end. And so you can hang your hammock and suspend it between these tripods without it collapsing in on itself because it has the ridge pole. Right. Yeah. So I figured out a way basically to set up a hammock wherever we travel with our rig without ever needing trees or a whole lot of extra like supports and tripods and stuff. Just basically I have a roof rack um, with two poles that extend out in a V, you know, and the taper to one tripod. So I've got double hammocks coming off of the, the rig. And then I, we have a rooftop tent so we can easily like in minutes, we can be sleeping for humans. Um, Dude. In in the two hammocks and then the rooftop tents and 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 the hammock. I don't know if you're into the hammock camping thing or if you've tried it, but uh, I haven't. I haven't tried it. It's been a on guide. my mind. It's been on my mind for a while. <laughs> but wanting to. A, a, a buddy of mine is a full convert. He uh, we, uh, we used to do the like kind of primal camping where all you take is you know our food for we'd go up for like two days in the Cascades. Wow. And it was just for the weekend, you know, because we grew up just that's where we grew up and. Uh, the rule was no tents. So yeah. it was just like sleeping bags, maybe and a mat. And then, you know, for padding, if you need, wish we never, we always would forget those. And then like food, you know, and that was about it. So, um, but he doesn't do sleeping bag anymore. He's a full convert. He's gone full hammock. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Well, you're, 
your way sounds much cooler, but mine is very much comfier. I can guarantee it. Uh, it sounds cool, but I have also become somewhat infamous for like having bad camping experiences with like, <laughs> cause you I know, wonder why. Yeah. Like, well, there's rules. You can't bring anything. All right. Guess what? I forgot to check the weather. It's going to rain the entire time. Uh, Misery. That's why I see. I just, I just bought, we just bought our first uh, pop-up camper. So oh, okay. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago, like a, like a, it's like 30 years old and, and we're going to be taking it out soon that I'm very excited about. That's fun. Yeah. Good for you. Where are you going to take that? Uh, so well, I live in uh, Olympia um up in washington and there's just a ton of state parks around the area and uh yeah. because of uh my veteran status i can stay at state parks for free so we've oh, got wow, like yeah so we've got like eight camping trips all lined up and and i think we're only paying for one of them uh Whoa. so it's gonna be awesome but yeah we're gonna Dude. go uh miller sylvania state park pacific beach um up at uh, Yale Reservoir up in Cougar, Washington. Um Ooh, I love Cougar. It's such a nice area. Yeah, you get some kokanee fishing hopefully. Uh nice. yeah, it's going to be fun. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that sounds like a great trip. Yeah, I I love not having to pay for a campsite. Yeah. That's, that's my um I I'm obviously don't have the uh well, not, I shouldn't say obviously. I don't have veteran status, so I have to do the dispersed BLM camping or you know what, whatever it is. Yeah, get off the grid a little bit. But um, see, I would enjoy that too. I don't think my, I don't know if my kids would enjoy that as much as <laughs> my my son. He's seven, and he keeps talking about, oh, I can't wait till we go camping so I can just you know lay in lay in the camper and you know watch the ipad and play my switch and i'm like no nah, bro like you ain't right. bring it, you ain't bringing those man like <laughs> we're talking about <laughs> i think yeah. your son your son would hate camping with me i'm pretty sure <laughs> <laughs> i want to try tad camping i want to do, do like the uh yeah, naked and afraid version. Dude, come on up, let's go. There's I'm a in. lake, like uh, it's like a seven mile. It's pretty flat. It's easy hike, but like people hike out to it. Um, and they they've got uh, gray lane fishing out there that you can do. Like people, like they just it's it's gorgeous. Um, the mosquitoes are really bad. Mm. Uh, is yeah. there a window when you go when the mosquitoes are not bad, or is it just something you have to deal with? I mean, if you go any in the kind of I think colder. I think like early, like now, even though it's going to be like probably like 36, 35 degrees or freezing, yeah. um, but people are camping. Like people are starting to camp now. Um, yeah. I, you don't have to worry about it. I want, I, I, I never get too bitten up. Um, my I wife would. is the exact. Yeah. My wife is the exact opposite. She gets destroyed by them. So um, maybe, maybe like late summer, like if you went like in September or something, it wouldn't be as bad but i know like in july like july june it's pretty yeah yeah See, anytime yeah, it's wet. Called... okay oh it's just because anytime it's wet so like that early summer late spring when everything's thawed and you know there's just like water everywhere for the mosquitoes to breed i think that's when it's just really really hellacious yeah but but yeah you were saying i'm sorry no there's there's a place called waldo lake here uh east of eugene in Oregon and it's absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the two clearest bodies of water in the world. You can, you know, you look off the edge of your boat and you can see 50, 60 feet down to wow. the bottom. 
Oh, wow. And uh, the mosquitoes there are horrendous. Uh, So there's like three weeks that you can go without them basically late August, early September. And that's when everybody wants to go. So yeah, yeah. I want to go, I want to do kayak camping where you just, so if I had a hammock, you load that and then all your gear up into your kayak and then just, you know, kind of go around. That would be, that's like on my bucket list of things I want to do. Mine too. I've done some of that, but, one of the bucket list things I'm doing this year is uh, I'm turning 40, so I'm going to go and do a trip in the San Juan Islands oh. kayak oh, wow. with some buddies. So we've, we've got uh, four guys going and yeah. Congratulations, and, man. And, thank you. Yeah. That'll be fun. Wow. Yeah. I'm turning. It's uh, Saturday's my, my 40th year, but we'll do something when the weather's more predictably nice. Yeah. Summertime. So were there, did you discover any kind of like hidden gems on your journey of, uh, since we're now it's become a camping podcast, uh, (laughs) just kind of like, you know how, like you're searching for places like we would, you know, we would be like when we used to go out to like, uh, say the Olympic peninsula or up to Canada or someplace like that, we'd always have set set out like, well, we're going to go here, but then we'd end up finding some weird little thing that was off the beaten path. Was there any of those that you guys came across where you're like, well, we got to mark this down. Like, this is going to be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, some of the spots in little monarchs are marked down for no particular reason, just because I thought, well, it's just pretty here or there's, you know, there's a, uh, there's something in my own history that nobody else would ever encounter here, but it makes it special to me. Mm-hmm. And then there were places that were just legitimately, uh, cool, objectively cool, like hot springs, waterfalls that are, you know, kind of like yeah. you're saying off the, off the beaten path. Um, uh, certainly monarch groves, uh, along the California coast that you can go and visit that are marked in there. Um, yeah, that was one of my hopes is that people would feel that the book is sort of an invitation into that, um, yeah. in, like a very direct invitation without it being a, exactly a tour guide or, explicitly educational i tried to weave all of it into the narrative and make it in service of the narrative you know yeah uh, and the characters and all of that but it's it's in there if you want to go and explore it it's such a cool detail that you don't like you don't see, like you just don't see, i mean we've said it already but you just don't see that very often in mm-hmm. especially comic books you know or graphic novels it's just yeah. so unique. Well, We'll see how it plays out. You know, I think the majority of people will just read it for the story. And, and I think that, um, that's, that's great, but there have already been people that I've, I've kind of, uh, heard about who, uh, like this one person on social media and it wasn't, it wasn't my social media account, but somebody had shared my book and, and this other person got a hold of the, uh, the concept and they're like, this is so cool and I want to follow the route and see if um, this Monarch Grove that my dad loved is on it and oh. I want to take my 
grandkids with me and, you know, do the oh, whole wow. thing. And it's like, yes, <laughs> it's that's <working>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's really, oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. So did you, um, now you said that it's kind of a little, it's not post-apocalyptic, but I guess it's kind of post-apocalyptic. No one can go outside anymore. Everyone's underground, you know? Um, yeah. uh, now, did you do any, because it sounds like it's very science-based. Did you look into uh, cataclysmic events that were like, you know, you know, major events that like killed off, you know, like 80% of the megafauna and stuff like that? Yeah, a bit. I had to, you know, do some bits of research, mostly in terms of like, okay, how do I avoid having like corpses and skeletons in a middle grade book? <laughs> <Every, laughs> right. You know, I didn't want to make it gruesome or focus on, uh, the death and the horror of it all. I wanted it to take place far enough away from those major events that it really becomes sort of its own like world. Nature, yeah. nature, what's it called? Re- reclamation or something like yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I had to think about, um, yeah, how, how long does it take for a body to fully decompose if it's indoors or, you know, if there weren't ma- uh, big mammals around to help with that process, uh, you know, yeah. what, what would the uh, breakdown be for all the, anyway. So yeah, morbid details like that, <laughs> that were um, background uh, you know, research that I had to do that you don't really encounter in the book per se, but um, yeah. So there was a bit of that, the ecology of it. I certainly learned a lot about, monarchs and migration and it's just amazing amazing details that still blow my mind um i don't know how familiar you guys are with this but we can get into a little bit of the nerdery teach us um, yes pl- teach yeah us. I, it's been a long time since i've read or seen anything about monarchs if i'm being honest like i was i was telling my wife about this earlier like oh yeah you know, the i know that the book is around the monarch one of the monarch migrations but i was like i couldn't remember the season or how long it goes i just remember like there's like th- hundreds of thousands of them and i you know. yeah well there's there's only a fraction of them left and so while that's a sad thing that the migration is still something that happens and it wasn't until really the 60s that people understood like where do they go what what happens to them and then, then they discovered the, the site in Michoacan, Mexico, which is thousands and thousands of miles away from you know the northernmost places that they go because they, yeah. they go up into Canada um, right but it takes them they don't live a very long time, most of them so it takes them four generations to actually complete their migration. Wow and if you're thinking about that it's like okay, great great grandpa <laughs> leaves the grove in pismo beach in california mm, and I love you pismo know beach. it's yeah it's really a, a, an amazing site it's the largest monarch site in california too so if you go oh, back wow. there well worth checking out um so anyway the you know the parents all lay their eggs and die before their young hatch and then the young continue north so you have all these generations that have no practical way to understand where home is. Right. But somehow they all know. And then by the time the northernmost monarchs feel the cold coming on, 
they stop growing up. They enter a state called diapause, sexual diapause, where they essentially stay like prepubescent and they, so they store up all of their vim and vigor. They live 10 times longer than any of those previous three generations. Instead what? Of, wow. Yeah. Instead of like a month and a half, they live eight or nine months. And oh, because weird. of that, they're able to make the entire journey south, 2,000 miles, 3,000 miles to a grove they've never seen before. Wow. And they just know how to find it somehow. That's amazing. Um, so what, what's impeding their migration? Is it, I'm guessing, probably human sprawl? Yeah, they're actually pretty good at finding milkweed and, and habitat in cities. Like even in New York City and Central Park, they have monarchs finding uh, where to go and, and gardens and things. But uh, there is definitely a loss of their primary host plant as caterpillars is the milkweed plant. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's been torn up all across the country because it's got weed in the name. And right. so that's, you know if they don't have that to feed on, they don't develop. Uh, and that's another fascinating part of them. They, they're only toxic to predators because they grow up eating this milkweed plant that mm -hmm. is the thing that is the, that has the cardiac glycosides. The, 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 essentially it's a, a, a poison to mammals. And so anyway, they, uh, they have all these other species of butterflies that mimic their look and don't yeah. have any of the chemicals because they don't, you know, these other butterflies don't grow up eating uh, milkweed. And, but they know like, Oh, the monarch is safe from birds and other, other critters that would eat me. So I'm going to, I'm going to evolve to look like one. It's crazy. Have you, um, have you, are you familiar with the, uh, the pollination pathways and the, some of the kind of like, it's kind of ingenious what some of the um, like corporate America, like places like Walmart and Target are starting to implement, especially like down in places like Texas in the Midwest. Are you oh, familiar I with that? Too much about that no. I, I only know about it just because uh, just uh, a buddy of mine works for a company that kind of, they take care of all those green belts and stuff that you see like that are like part basically it's drainage for like large, you know, corporate structures like Walmart and all that kind of stuff. Uh -huh. And uh, I was going to do some work for them a while back. And uh, he um, is interesting. He was telling me that like one of the big things that they're trying to implement because um, now I guess just recently they've become aware that there's these pollination highways that go all across the U S all across North America and, you know, in South America, I would imagine. And they found that like, certain like insects, but, uh, you know, birds, even mammals all follow, go along these corridors and by, you know, basically urban suburban sprawl has kind of just like just wrecked these pathways that have existed for, I imagine thousands of years. So what they're trying to do, um, is they're trying to build like, so you pull into Walmart where they're, you know, they have the green belt over there surrounding the, the entire parking lot looks kind of nice you know, whatever, um, they were, they're starting to put in like gardens 
and the gardens specifically have things like milkweed and things like that to help with the pollination, help with things like butterflies, all that kind of stuff, um, just so that they have a place where they can go and stop. And then some of the places that are a little bit bigger, they're even putting like little campgrounds because, you know, you can... I don't know if people have, if you haven't been in the Midwest, I don't know if our listeners have, maybe some of them are hopefully in the Midwest, but they have places where you can actually like go and camp um, like there at, like in those, those green sections in between uh, shopping centers. Huh. Uh, if you want, like if you're a road, if you're road tripping, yeah. I, I only know, I only know that because when I went to the East coast from Washington state, we didn't have, my wife and I didn't have any money. So that's where we camped because it was free and you have access to, well, we need gas. There's a gas station there. Oh, we need some food. There's, you know, a marketplace there in the target or the Walmart or whatever it is. Um, huh. I feel like it's turning into a Walmart ad, but it was <laughs> the, 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 the these Walmart parking are, lot ads specifically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Come to the Walmart parking lot. See uh, who hasn't the wilds of America. I have. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was cool. I thought it was a cool, even though, you know, it's still horrible what's happened, but I, I thought it was a kind of a, a interesting project that's being implemented to try yeah. to kind of make up for some of the lost ground. Well, that's really cool. I, I, I'm always encouraged to hear those stories and, you know, part of what we're doing on this book tour and uh, for pre-orders, we're, we're packaging up all this native milkweed, depending on where people's addresses are. We're sending out native milkweed to them with every book that's, awesome. that's sold from my own store. And then on this tour, any book oh. that I sign, I'll also hand out native milkweed, depending on where we are in the country. Um, so the hope there is that kids, yeah, it's an easy way for them to get involved in replanting yeah. some of that lost stuff. So was that just something that you just decided to do on your own or was that through the publisher? I decided to do it on my own. It's kind of, you know, when I started this book, um, I never expected that the year before I published it, uh, the Western migration would almost go extinct. Like last year, there were less than 2000 monarch butterflies in all of California. Where in the 1980s, there were like a couple hundred million, hundred million or something. You know? Wow. So what's happened? Is it, do they know why? They don't quite know why, um, but they were thinking, you know, if we get, if we lose, if we, if it drops anywhere under 10,000, we might not be able to recover the species in terms of the Western migration. There's the yeah. Eastern migrations a little bit stronger in terms of its numbers, but it's still just a fragment of what it used to be only a decade or two ago. Um, oh. So I think, yeah, it's a combination of climate change, pesticide use, lack of habitat, uh, lack of food sources. It's kind of a, a, probably a lot of things yeah. working together, but humans being garbage people. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's this, so it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, fortunately, the last year, the numbers bounced back a bit. But uh, yeah, we'll see where it goes from here. It's kind of, you know, I think there were maybe actually 200,000 uh, in California this last season, which was way better, of course. Um, yeah. But we'll see if it... The hope is that if enough people get involved, 
that we can start reversing things, but we'll see. I just want, I would just want to be able to hang on to some part of what we have because it's such, you know, because it's not only about the science and here I'm going to get on <laughs> my nerdiness again, but it's, it's this cultural spiritual thing yeah. where, you know, the day of the dead is so heavily connected to the monarch migration story because they're, they represent the spirits returning, you know, especially from our loved ones that we've lost kind of before their time. And for me, that's a rich part of it because I, I lost my son while I was working on this book um, when he was two. And we took one of our major research trips the same year that he died. And we ended up at this Monarch Grove in uh, natural bridges, uh, Santa Cruz, California unintentionally on the day of the dead and to see the monarchs gathered there to know about like the scientific background of their journey. What I've explained about it being a multi-generational thing that's sort of beyond one lifetime. And then to know the significance of the day of the dead connection and all of that. And it, and in fact, I was even reading um, these Japanese comics, these uh, show, I'm, can't think of the uh, gentleman's name who wrote and drew them, but you know, he was a World War II veteran. He went back to um, these islands in the South Pacific where he'd fought, uh, and he was there with some of his comrades, and the bones of their uh, fallen brethren were still there in the jungle, and they were anointing them with sake, and all of a sudden all these butterflies descend on the bones all this wow. like splash wow. of color just surrounding them. And and one of them was like, Oh, it was the sake. They came for the sake. He's like, no, like <laughs> yeah. it's their spirits returning basically. Yeah. And yeah. so that was an amazing thing. Like thousands of miles away. There's also this metaphor of the butterflies being, you know, yeah, the spirits of our dead visiting us. And uh, so anyway, that's a rich element of this particular project for me because First, it was the book that I wrote for the kids that I was going to have. Then it was a book because years went on. It was the book for the kids I did have. And then it became a book also for the, the kid that I lost. Wow. And yeah. I ended up putting him into the book kind of in, a, in an indirect way uh, as a way to sort of remember his mannerisms and, you know, the things that will slip away with time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah things he would say so wow yeah so the reality and like the push pull of the reality and the fiction um extended even to that for me and um yeah man uh, that's a lot uh that's a yes it's a vulnerable thing to have to like talk about and and, you know include in this like middle readers like kids adventure thing but it's i want that i want that to be a part that I don't have to shy away from as I, as I talk about it, because sure. Um, even if kids, as they're reading it, don't pick up on that and they have no reason that they would necessarily pick up on that. Cause it's not explicitly stated as like, this is my son in here. Um, right. I, I do, I do want them to be able to have books that deal with death as not just like a mechanism for, plot development like oh the disney 
the dad dies, the mom dies in the beginning of the story. And so we're off on the hero's journey. I want, you know, I want there to be uh, some nuance to how we talk and deal with death in children's literature. So. Yeah. No, I think that's um, one. I think that's beautiful that you're, yeah. that you're, you're doing that, that you're inserting that kind of like uh, uh, extension of yourself into the book. Like it makes it incredibly personal, but also like it brings a different, a different weight and just spirit to the project, you know, altogether. I mean, it's, I don't know, this, this book sounds, I mean, I feel like we've gotten like a real, like heavy here, yeah. but uh, hey, you know, it's, it's heavy stuff, but I know I, um, I don't know. I, I lost people like my dad died, like when I was like 18 mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um I, I'm sorry. I, you know, I, I remember, I'm sorry. Your son, you lost yeah. your son. I just, you know, I remember, I remember being in the studio when I heard word of it, it was, you know, pretty crushing. Um, but it, it's one of those things that like, uh, I always feel like there's a certain level of taboo around death and avoidance. And I think that there's more power when you can use it to insert it into things because then it does, like you said, you, you retain those memories and there's, it's like a documentation of, mm-hmm. of things that, like you said, might fade with time. Um, I know my sister and I talk about it all the time. Cause like when she, she was, she's much younger than me. So, you know, for her, I think she was like a, what, 11 or something like that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not very good at uh, talking about super serious stuff. No, no. <laughs> I'm it's, sorry. Uh, well, it's good. I'm, I appreciate you being willing to go there. I, I'll, let me ask you a question. So when yeah, yeah. you, when you experienced that grief, did you want to talk about it? Like, did you feel like, like I have this sense of, um, almost like wanting everyone to know, even like people that I didn't know that well, I wanted them to know, like my, my son is gone. Like my, yeah. and, and his was a valuable life and here's yeah. who he was. And, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I don't come from a very religious or spiritual family. We're more, I would say we're more, uh, especially my dad, he was very, uh, he instilled very just like, the expectations of nature upon us as kids, if that makes sense, like debt, like life and death are, these are inevitable things. Um, Even though the circumstances of it might not necessarily be, um, (laughs) they're never going to be like something that you want to happen, you know? So I think what I, I did really, I didn't mind talking about it with people where most people just, um, or even now, like we've been, my wife has, um, we've talked about it on the podcast a few times. My wife has brain aneurysms Mm -hmm. and, you know, like this last year, we didn't know how the outcome was going to go. Um, there was a brief period, like I'd say like a good month there where, um, you know, I had people kind of reach a few friends, close friends that were like, this could be it, man, you know? Yeah. So enjoy your time, you know? And I, I took a lot of time off work. I just didn't work. Cause I, you know, it was one of those things. Um, but I found, um, I found it really interesting is I think for a lot of people, um, the concept of death is so scary and so terrifying that, uh, we found like with my wife, I should, he, that'd be a probably a better example. I found with like my wife being sick, we found people distance themselves 
from us um, just because it was so uncomfortable. And so at first it made me kind of angry. Like it made me upset where I was like, why don't I go this, you know, it was one of those, like, she might not be here in a couple months. Why wouldn't you want to interact with her as much as you can, even if it is just through Facebook or like give her a call, you know, especially if you've known her for 10, 20 years. And it was really strange. We, it was a very, very select, small inner circle of people. Like Brian came up and visited us twice. Yeah. I had a friend that I grew up with, um, you know, from when I was a kid who came up a couple of times. Uh, she had one friend who's here in town that would come over all the time, but that was like really it. Everyone else just kind of like disappeared, you know, like it was, I think it was, and I think it's just, it's one of those, it's like, uh, I don't know. I think it's instilled in us to be this like massively scary thing. I mean, it it is scary and it is terrible, but at the same time, like to the point where people just don't want to even acknowledge it. And I'm with you. I'm kind of at the same. I was of the same percent like perception of like, shouldn't you just like enjoy the the opportunity or just like in like with my dad my sister and i we joke about and talk about him constantly all the time and it makes a lot of people uncomfortable especially in our family because we'll be like remembering the things that we enjoyed about him he's very goofy guy so he would i'd say say and do goofy things so we kind of like rag on that so like i guess if you're an outsider you're like geez man you guys are like ripping on your dad hard we're like yeah but no that's what made it that's what made the memories like, like so unforgettable. Like that's what made them that's they're so instilled in us because it was was such a good time. Um, So, yeah, I think um, I, I, yeah, I, I guess I, I don't know. Maybe I lost track of the question there. I would say I'm pretty similar as well. I, I lost my dad six years ago and uh, he had MS uh, and then pneumonia got him from, because of complication from his MS, but I talk about my dad like daily or if not daily, like every other day or, you know, like I see things that'll remind me of him and, uh, or like my, my dad was a, uh, a a notorious backseat driver. And so Uh whenever, whenever my wife backseats the driver, I say, you're not my father. Like you don't, (laughs) you know, you don't don't get to tell me how to drive. Like what's, you know, (laughs) um, you know, I see mannerisms, you know, I see stuff, uh, that my son, you know, he, uh, he's seven now, so he didn't, he doesn't remember him, you know, but I see, I see mannerisms and he acts like my dad in certain ways, uh, my daughter is 15, so her and I will talk about him a lot. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I just, uh, you know, you try to remember him. And that's talking talking about him helps me remember yeah, him. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, yeah, I I, uh, I think it's worth making some people uncomfortable absolutely. to be able to yeah. honor your dad. Because you know? it's not about them, you know it's about me or it's about you if you're you know talking about your son and you know um yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's um I, yeah I, I think just for a lot of people it's an untup i think it's an uncomfortable subject just culturally um, culturally cu- yeah yeah cultural i found that people that haven't gone through um major like something's like very scary like that it's really un- i think uh 
it's really taboo for them just because I, I think it's the idea of like, they don't even want to imagine what the grief and the pain it's going to be like to go through that. So it's like, let's just, I, they don't want to, they just want to avoid it altogether, which is understandable. Um, I used to, when I was younger, it used to make me really mad. And I'll be honest, even like with my wife this last year, when people in our lives just disappeared overnight, um, as soon as they found out um, or just, I don't know. I Like we try and go out of our way for, you know, and try to be not, I shouldn't say go out of our way, but we tried to be social as much as we could because we're not social people. So we always feel like we have to make an effort to do yeah. it. And um, yeah, I was just, you know, like if somebody, you know, wins an award or does something, you send them a text and say, congratulations. And it was just, I don't know when we kind of announced like what was going on. We started saying people, telling people what was going on, just social media. Yeah. It was just really weird. How many, just nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. Know. It's, 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 it's strange. Like that you'll find certain people will rise to the occasion that you don't expect. And then, yeah. you know, vice versa, of course. Yeah. But uh, it definitely, it can alter your life in that, in that way because of uh, your relationships. So, you know, your, your relationships can change in ways that you never expect. And often in ways that seem opposite, like you're saying opposite to what you would think would be. Yeah. It's yeah. very disorienting sometimes. Yeah. I, um, I mean, uh, when um, things happen with your son, was it, um, I, I obviously it was horribly difficult, um, I mean, did you guys have a pretty good like inner circle? Was there a lot of people that were there and, you know, helping out with the family and stuff like that? Yeah, we we were very fortunate to have um, uh, an amazing group of friends and family around us that really buoyed us up and, and got us through those really dark months. And then I think sure. a lot of that is a credit to my wife, who is more the social one of the two of us and has uh, invested and loved on people through um, their own hard times. And uh, so I think that all came back to us with interest. And so yeah, uh, grateful to her for, for that. And, and uh, yeah. So, so I think we, we were yeah, fortunate in that for sure. Um, but there are also moments like you're talking about where you, you don't expect like, Oh, this relationship seems to be over now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, because I don't quite understand why, but something about maybe all of a sudden me feeling like I need more reality. I need more honesty. Yeah. If, if there's somebody that's not really willing to be there in that with you. <laughs> um, yeah. Then you, then I, you just have to kind of move along, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, so, yeah. so there were a few of those, but by and large, we, yeah, we were grateful for amazing community. So, um, to, I guess, lighten this up a little bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here we, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll keep it in the same show. Did you, uh, what kind of character did you write your son as in the book? Yeah. 
Well, it, it basically, the scenario goes, it's kind of backwards. So the little girl at a certain point, there's been an earthquake. And you can imagine with everybody except them living underground, that's particularly catastrophic. Yeah. Yeah. So they're traveling around. I mean, there's only a few thousand people nationwide left before this event. Um, and it's not like a nationwide earthquake. It's it's the Cascadia event that basically happens in the book. <laughs> oh, and wow. So uh, at a certain point, the little girl knows that she's supposed to avoid like the sites where other people are. Like mm-hmm. we don't know these people. We don't know. Like even if it's daytime, like just if you see signs of other people or places where they live, just don't go near there. Sure. But she kind of happens upon one that they haven't charted out. Like they don't know it's there. And it's after the earthquake. And uh, she encounters this little boy who's like playing on a school bus early in the morning before the sun is up. And, you know, like he's, he's still able to be alive because, you know, this, uh, the, the sun is the problem in the book. But uh, so she's able to get him medicine and kind of, so they figure out, Oh, okay. He managed to make his way out because he's so little, but everything else caved in so it's it's the reversal of fortunes like he loses his family but then he's adopted and and we get to see him go on and uh she then there's a little bit in the book where she's calling him um cito s-i-t-o and the the adult is confused about that she's like what is that his name like and she's like, yeah, that's what it says on his tag. And, but the, the tag, she's read the tag backwards, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's because it's like inside out. And so it's Otis, which is my son. My son's name is Otis, mm. but she just okay. calls him back that the name backwards throughout the book because yeah, it just works. Dude, that's, that that's cool. That's really that's cool. cool. Yeah. That's really cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love, I love it. I just, uh, I love, uh, I mean, like, I just, I love how much of yourself you were able to get in this book. Mm-hmm. And then I, it's not, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't think there's a lot of, you know, we, we interviewed a lot of people on here and it's, you know, we talk about a lot of different projects and, you know, most of them like are great, but they don't have the kind of like, I'd say personal yeah. like investment that your book has. You know, and I just, I think that's really special and like unique, you know? Well, I guess. I'm glad that it resonates for you. I hope that if you uh, are able to read the rest of it, that you enjoy it. And I mean, yeah, I'm, sure. I'm going to pick it up, pick up the physical copy of it when it comes out. I'm, I'm looking forward to it a lot. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, I mean, like I have to, I have to finish reading it now. I mean, like I have to. There it is. It's uh, oh, they gorgeous. did a nice job with the production. Yeah, um, it looks it looks pretty cool. I'm very happy with it. So um, yeah. What's the Anxious best way to, to what what's the best way to order it off your website? Yeah, I mean you can order it wherever. If you have a bookstore, a comic shop that you want to support, by all means do that. Okay. Um, but you can also go on my website, and I'll send you the signed and sketched in copy with a little packet of milkweed seeds you can plant oh i gotta do that i gotta do that yeah yeah do they think that i'm so bad about 
what natural uh, flora we have in Alaska. Do they have milkweed in Alaska? Probably, right? They I'm might, but I don't think I. I have people who've ordered the book in Alaska, and I'm probably not going to send milkweed seeds up there. I I don't because it wouldn't it wouldn't benefit the monarchs. The monarchs aren't going to Alaska. Um, yeah, but. Yeah, that's something that that's something I need to research more. I don't know if you what you have up there. Yeah, I I know we have butterflies that look a lot like monarchs, but I don't know if they're monarchs. I don't know if they're they're faux monarchs. You know, yeah, it mean? might be swallowtails or something. Yeah. Like um. Okay. Well, now let's really shift gears. Okay. Uh, you said you're a nerd. You said you've been watching a lot of stuff. I'm guessing like all of us during the pandemic, um, you've probably binged way, you know, way too much Netflix here and there or whatever. Um, was, is there anything, uh, anything that really like kind of, I don't know, weird, goofy stuff that, uh, you've been into lately. Oh man. So this is where, yeah, maybe I, I said, I've watched, I've watched past tense, a lot of stuff. Um, I feel like the trajectory of my life, since making the choice to go out into the woods. Yeah. Like I did for this book. Like I, I've really not watched that much in the last 10 years. That's uh, awesome. Wow. That's the best know. though. I just, I, I used to just eat it all up. And uh, now I, I feel like I've seen most of the stories. So I don't know. It's like, I feel even, like- my, even my daughter, she'll be watching something with me. She's like, oh, I see where, how this is going. Like this, the story structure, you know, she's like 10. She's already picking it yeah. apart and knowing where it's going to go in the first 10 minutes. And- I do the same thing. It bothers my wife. Right, right. <laughs> it's like, can't you just sit and enjoy it? It's like, well, it's hard. It's hard to pull yourself I, out of I what f- you know. I feel like I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum. Like when I first met you, I had been my like pretty... I think I first met you around like 2009, 2010. It's like when I first came to Portland and um, I hadn't watched TV since like 2002, 2003. And then like, it wasn't until really maybe the last like six years that my wife and I started, like, I don't know if it's just the daily grind of like whatever, but like we, or maybe it's just because we finally got Netflix or something. Uh, (laughs) But like we've, yeah, this is probably the most TV I've watched in a really since I was a kid. Um, and uh, I don't know, it bothers me. So now I'm kind of like, I want to get back into like not watching anything. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, I, I don't know what I feel bad when because I always felt bad. Like, in, you know, I remember when The Office was big and that was coming out and everybody's watching that and they come and tell me, like, oh man, Dwight, you got to see this Dwight guy. And I had no, I just never even knew what they were talking about. I've still about. never seen an episode. How dare you? It's a great show. <laughs> I was just saying a couple I know days, it is. <laughs> just yesterday, I was saying, you know, Sarah, a show that I do want to watch, I would like to go back and watch The British Office. That That's a good show. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good show. Dark, but, <laughs> Very dark. but so well done. So well yeah. acted. Right? I've, I've only seen clips, really, but. Anyway. Do you still do you still watch a lot of uh, film at all? Because I know we've in the past we had some great conversation. About, yeah, I, you know, I've. Uh, you know, told me about Big Man Japan. I did. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, man, 
yeah, I really haven't watched as much of that either in the last few years. What have I liked? I mean, I liked uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a lot. Yeah, that was a good um, movie. What else have I seen? There's a lot of stuff that I that I want to see. Like, I'd kind of like to see the new Dune movie. Yeah. And maybe it's a factor of having kids, too. But it's like, I tried to, like... <laughs> set up a date night with this like guy friend we're like okay you'll come over we'll watch dune and we tried like five times to make it happen (laughs) (laughs) and we just could never quite pull it off so i still haven't seen dune is that what do you like ted what's what's good and when and you um brian's much more in tuned with what's come like i i don't have a life well, I don't either, but um, <laughs> um, I haven't, I've been pretty bad about watching. Like I haven't, I watched, oh, this is going to really, ma- I like letter Kenny. It's a Canadian show, uh-huh. um, but I don't, I think it's just because it's funny and I anymore, just especially with the last couple of years, um, I, that for me, it's all about escapism mm-hmm. and I like to laugh. Yeah. So I like to have a good time. I like things to be very lighthearted. So uh, Letter Kenny has been my kind of my go-to. Um, and then I've seen a few other shows, but that was probably the one I probably enjoyed the most. And it's just because it reminds me of where I grew up and, uh, you know, just kind of like farm humor. But then like, you know, we didn't have hockey. We had, you know, we had like wrestling and and, and football. So, but it's still kind of the same kind of like, there's some of that like meathead humor. A little oh, yeah. bit. Right. I love, yeah. I love cop dramas and detective shows. So uh, uh-huh. like the law and order, some big fans of that uh, Bosch. I was, I, I love, that's probably one of my favorite shows, but I also love like the comedy ones. I don't know if you've ever seen psych before. That's one of my favorite shows of all time. Um nice. And currently, currently, I'm watching. We were talking about it before you joined, before you came in. But uh, I'm watching the Righteous Gemstones on HBO. I don't know if you've heard. Oh, of Oh yeah, I, I saw a couple episodes of that with Sarah. Yeah, my wife. Oh we were man, watching. Well, it seemed good. So I, funny. I did watch that show. I did. So watch funny. That show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Some good actors on that. Yeah. I watched uh, the third season of Twin Peaks, and how, that was how was favorite. that? Was that good? That was my favorite thing that I've seen in a while. Okay. And it makes me laugh like nothing else. I mean, his sense of humor for some reason, David Lynch has got like uh, this little uh, short film on Netflix called, I think it's like, what did Jack do or something? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Love. I'm a big Lynch fan. So yeah. yeah. Uh, that made me laugh harder than anything I've seen in the last 10 years for some he did the first total or he did the first uh dune movie didn't he david lynch yeah speaking of dune yeah. and he disowned it but man yeah. toto did the soundtrack how dare he <laughs> <laughs> yeah it has its moments that movie yeah yeah i thought i watched it because i'd never seen i hadn't read the books i hadn't seen the movies but i knew what dune was and then when the new movie came out i I actually went and watched the David Lynch one first and then um, watched the second one. And like, yeah, the second one is going to be better. It was also, or the newer one, I guess is better, but it's also like, they have a lot more resources at their disposal. Yeah. It being 30 years later. So Uh um, it should be better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, 
And but I thought the first one was uh, like you know Lynch's Dune was it was art it was good it was a fun fun fine sci-fi movie for what it was. Yeah. Um, I I didn't I'd rather take Dave Batista over um oh what's his name uh Sting Sting yeah I think <laughs> Dave Batista's a little scarier than Sting uh, in a fist fight just saying I'm just I will kill you yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, that part made me laugh my ass off. I, yeah, I the line dying. reading is pretty good. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of great line readings, sometimes I'll just watch like the greatest hits clips of like Nick Cage on YouTube or something like the most bizarro moments. That's kind of what where I'm at. <laughs> As you should. Attention span thing or what? But uh, I've been working through the like the back catalog of Nick Cage insanity, and that's been kind of fun. Like uh, Bad Lieutenant. Port of Call, New Orleans. You guys seen that movie? I have, yeah. I have. No? <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that? Wasn't that? That wasn't. Who? Wasn't that David Lynch who directed that? That was Herzog. Oh, that's that's right. Yeah. It was Herzog. The idea of Herzog and Nick Cage being in the same room together is crazy. <laughs> the match made in heaven, my friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, There's Brian, a. Did you like that? <laughs> Did you like that, Brian? Did you like that that flick? I did. Yeah, I I remember. I think I saw it in theater when it came out. It was like what two thousand six, two thousand seven, somewhere in that time frame. Yeah. yeah. There is. Have you seen the? There's a mockumentary with Herzog. He he didn't direct it, but he's in it, and um, it's called. Uh, it's like I think it's called Loch Ness or Incident at Loch Ness. It's where he gets uh, the whole like setup is like you know okay, we're going to film this documentary of you're going to go to the Loch Ness and film like a, a documentary about the lock in search of the Loch Ness monster. And um, I, I don't want to say it's good, but it's kind of great. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it's a good film, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. It was just so interesting. Cause you, you get the whole roller coaster of a, you know, when you sign on to some, maybe a, I don't know if it's ever happened to you where you sign on to a project and you, the people get you motivated to work on it. And then as slowly as the project kind of rolls forward, it devolves and you realize that you're hamstring yourself and gotten yourself into a terrible predicament where you have, you have to work on this thing. And that's Uh what happens to Herzog. Uh And he's just like losing it, but he, (laughs) he's very himself. Like he does a good job just being himself in the film and very frustrated. It's great. It's that sounds good. I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I'll watch basically anything that he's associated with just because you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> anything could happen. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. I'm looking for more of those movies where it's like, well, that wasn't the best movie, but at least I was surprised. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um. So if, I mean, uh, if you're not watching a lot of film these days, um, are you um, like, what do you use as like a creative stimulant? for yourself like i use a lot of music um i try to supplement that with film because i enjoy film and i like that stuff but it's mostly i would say music do you do you, uh, do something like that i would say that uh a creative stimulant for me just sounds like getting out on a hike or like getting out on a, my kayak or just slinging my hammock up by a creek or something like just the restorative nature of that pun intended, I guess is, Mm -hmm. uh, is what does it for me these days. Yeah. It's not, um, 
it's definitely yeah, healthier. I, remember, I don't know. I mean, I, I remember like, uh, who was it that said this thing? Ray Bradbury was like, if you, if you're finding yourself struggling to write, like I prescribe you read a sonnet, read an essay, read a chapter of a great, but like, he's like every day you're like, read this. And by the end of six months, you'll just be like, Jesus, God, you'll be full of stuff, you know? Yeah. You yeah. Be able to like, stop yourself from writing and you'll, so I, I believe in the value of that too, but, uh, like for whatever reason, maybe it's because we're so saturated. Like the phone is always there. Mm-hmm. My children are always there telling me about Doc McStuffins. Oh yeah, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, it Doc is. McStuffins, yes sir. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a stage of life thing. I think as a dad, it's like you're trying to just keep your head above water from all like the crazy like low grade stuff that is being pushed on your kids. It's like, okay, all right, there's something cool here that we can watch together or, you know, here's this old movie or whatever that I loved when I was a kid, let's watch it together. So that's more what I'm doing right now is I'm kind of going through like the list of stuff that I think was enriching to me when I watched it with my parents yeah, yeah. And, I'm, and I'm forcing it on my own kids. There you so go. you're making your children, I'm guess, watch Jaws, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Or, yeah stuff like that. <laughs> did, did we watch Jaws? No, we haven't watched Jaws yet. I don't think. I, I have a feeling when when my son and I watch Jaws, he's just going to be like, "This movie is trash, Dad. Like that yeah. shark doesn't even look real." And That's then I'm gonna, terrible. And then I'm going to throw uh-huh. him out of the house. You know? It'll. I think it'll be all right. You probably. You probably have a son that can appreciate. I don't know. Jaws holds up. You've, you've, you've met thought, him, Tad. Yeah. He, he he talks a lot of shit. He does. <laughs> he does. He's uh, he's quite the critic. It's one of those where you're like, wow, a seven year old just crapped all over my entire childhood in like two seconds. Yeah, okay. for sure. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. There's there's plenty of our childhood that deserves to be crapped on too. Like That's nostalgia fair. is overrated, and we're stuck in a nostalgia loop right now that sure. we need to get out of but um, oh yeah i mean i feel like that's almost like a conversation for a different podcast <laughs> i i we kind of go brian and i talk about that all the time it's just like it's um i i guess that's i am glad that they are uh that so much film especially like for streaming platforms is looking at comics because i feel like it's been an ignored resource for yeah. so long and finally it's you know the special effects and stuff are affordable where like, I remember like when I went to the Kubert school, I can't remember. We had a, one of the older te- professors or teachers told us, um, well, you know, the great thing about comics is you can do the things in comics that they can't do in film. And like, that's not really the case now, <laughs> you know, no, like, no, right. they can do anything. Uh, so I'm kind of glad that like, you're seeing more of that um, kind of crossover. So I don't know. I'm sure it's you like anything. You get some great, you get some bad. I, I don't know if you watch much of the, uh, I've kind of given up on the the superhero stuff. I don't watch too much of it. Bry follows it pretty close. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't get into most of it. I liked uh, Thor Ragnarok. That's basically yeah. the only one that I've seen because it, it felt enough to me, like somebody who had a unique vision 
yeah. for what it was, and it yeah. was fun. You know? Yeah. Oh, and yeah. I saw um, Into the Spider Verse with my kids. Uh, oh yeah. Ago. Oh, that that yeah. Did they enjoy that? That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. That was great. Yeah. I loved it. So does my we, son. We talked with um, Jim Muffood. Do you know him? He, uh, he he's a comic artist. He's doing like Girl Scouts right now for Image. But um, he was on the podcast. If I don't know how when was that, Brian? Like, like a, month a month ago, ago or so. Yeah, yeah. And he he did some of the concept work for that. He uh, it was pretty interesting what he was talking about. How like he re- didn't really know what any of it was for. You know, they're very uh-huh. like secretive. It was just like give us give us twelve versions of Spider Man. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Make uh-huh. me, however you want him to look, just go. And okay. you can look back on that episode, folks, at our Substack page, bluetigerrevenge.substack.com. Scroll back, find that episode, give it a listen. Wow. wow. Um, <laughs> done, Brian. Yeah. Uh, well, Brian, uh, since you're rehashing old stuff, I think it's time uh, to ask a question that you've pro- actually asked this gentleman. Oh, we're going to go before. there. Are we going to go there? Yeah. Huh? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Hopefully the answer, well, the answer could be the same. It could be different. We'll find out. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is what we call the question, Mr. Case. And the question is something we ask every guest who comes on the show. Uh, for you, this will be the second time, but for the listeners out there, it'll be the first. Um, <laughs> Are you going to do a preamble, like to tell people what you're talking about, like that this that this thing happened with your computer when we did this first podcast? Like, are you going to? edit this together and splice in the truth of what what occurred or am well, I ruining something we we talked about it at the beginning and yeah oh, okay. he's been yeah. he's been calling me a piece of garbage tad called me a piece of garbage like probably five or six times before you came on oh um, <laughs> i i want to say we gave him a hard time on the episode we recorded Monday about it too. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I think there's two, ad, oh, well, two episodes. Well, good. It's yeah. good to know that you're actually being, yeah, that you're being yeah. raked over the cold. No, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, it wasn't your fault. It was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so here's the question. Uh, budget isn't a question, right? But you know, there's a, uh, uh, so if you, had the opportunity to do a comic or a miniseries, whatever, whatever it was about any, uh, any established character maybe that you love, uh, and it could be comics, movie, TV, book, whatever it might be. Is there something that pops out in your mind that you would want to do? So it would have to be, are you talking about like a licensed yeah. property from the last 30 or 40 years or, or 50 or whenever or a thousand yeah, yeah just any <laughs> licensed property I- yeah. any any property that just like if you were given free reign you could just go crazy and create your own like you know standalone graphic novel of that uh-huh. character yeah um ever since i was a little kid and my dad rented the gregory peck um john houston version of Moby Dick I've been kind of fascinated with that story and that book um I have no idea if it would be possible to make that work as a graphic novel but I think you know and what something that you just said about like how comics can do things that film can't and now that's not really true comics can still do things that film can't where there's a synchronicity between 
the literary and the visual. Yeah, that's true. And, that, yeah. and so with a book like that, that has these huge passages that have nothing to do with advancing the narrative, which yeah. film would never be interested in, you could still do in a comics format. Like you could, you could visualize whale anatomy and the details of knots and, you know, kind of some of the stuff yeah. that we were talking about with little, little monarchs, like, Oh, like, get, of, you could get into like the shipping and nautical aspects that, and even like oh, the way, really like, cool. I mean, it was, I mean, it's about whalers. You could even get into what 19th century whaling, right? Like, is that, was that what the time period was yeah. 18th yeah. century? Yeah. And, and it's like 85% of that book is just about like what it would be like to be on a whaling ship, uh, which and is, would be miserable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Horrible experience. Yeah. <laughs> But but kind of fascinating in, in all those details. So I, I think projects like that are, are interesting to me because, you know, I, I probably read that book when I was 17 or 18 and was kind of just waiting to get to the more like, okay, where's where's the, where's the whale going to come in and kill Ahab, you know? Yeah. But now I think if I went back and read it again, um, what I'm more interested in is, are those sort of like little bits of minutiae. The, the what was the world like and what was the what was it like to be in that position so i think yeah comics can do stuff like that at a, at a level of detail that um i am interested in i like that that's a cool answer yeah yeah that's that's all yeah that God, this it's my favorite part of our when we do these podcasts because you we never know what to expect and then the answers we get are always like I wish this all the all the publishers should be listening to just this part because we get the best answers. We like do. you just hear people, we really do. Like um, who was it that had? We had like a quantum. You remember the show Quantum Leap? It was yeah. uh, it, James Asmuth who said yeah, Quantum. That's Leap. right. Yeah, yeah. He said Quantum Leap, and his concept for it was just like so cool. Where you're like, oh my god, like why why don't they do this? Um, yeah, no, that. Uh, that actually, I now have another question for you Ooh, based off right. of, of your answer. Um, so someone in this room is negotiating, possibly doing, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fictional story, but there's a science element to it involving, um, let's just say, prehistoric animals of a very large variety. Uh-huh. And um, I wonder who this person could be. I have no idea. It's, it's me. It's me. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but like one of the things that were that's being discussed be discussed is uh is like really pushing the whole like almost like a inter- some kind of interactive field guide. Uh what do you have any recommendations on kind of like doing like proper research? Uh do you did you seek out like actual professionals or did you just kind of like wing it on uh on your own because i'm kind of in between well spoiler yeah it's me uh, i'm kind of in between those arenas you know where i have limitations because i'm not a, a a scientist let's put it that way sure Shocker. no i think I, I did like reach out to uh an organization called the xerxes society who um are preservationists working in the invertebrate space, particularly with monarchs and and pollinators. And that was helpful because although some of the questions that I had um, 
they didn't necessarily have the answers, but they could point me in the right direction. And uh, yeah. so it was a time saver. Things mm-hmm. that would have taken me a while to piece together, they had in a in a handy pamphlet that they put together right. for some other reason. And, right. and you know, so yeah, definitely seeking seeking out those resources can be a big help. Uh, humans are always the best, like library or search engine <laughs> yeah sure yeah yeah that it just, like you said time wise we're trying to i mean if trying to make heads or tails of some of these kind of like research papers um where uh, you know they go right into science talk where they're talking about like aspects of physiology that like unless you've got a master's in biology or whatever you have no idea what they're talking about you know yeah it's, you need your like friendly neighborhood carl sagan you know yeah, to be yeah. there and explain it in terms that makes sense to you yeah yeah um yeah okay cool wow, so yeah that, that, i think that's a worthwhile pursuit is finding finding some friendly friendly professionals yeah. uh and i think people generally love to talk about the things that they spend their time doing you know absolutely yeah yeah definitely it seems like people like to also be involved like they hear that there's a a creative project whether it's film or comics or something coming out and i think that it seems like everybody everybody always kind of perks up if it's like oh what you're gonna do this about it okay yeah Yeah. for little monarchs that's been a really cool part uh of the experience has been reaching out to these like citizen scientist groups that have, yeah. you know, monarch preservation stuff on Facebook now, or they're, they're doing um, milkweed hand. Like there's this one person in Portland who's like got 30 little milkweed starts for me and that she's like hoarding um, uh, and well, she's cultivated them and she's giving them to me so that we can hand them out at the book launch party. You know, that's, cool. it's been fun to make those connections with people mm-hmm. who are excited about, um, I guess our, just our shared love of this particular species and, you know, getting other people involved. Yeah. So yeah. Would, would, would you want to see uh little monarchs like turn into like a kid's show? Like if, you know, Netflix or PBS or somebody like that approached you to say, Hey, we want to turn this into uh turn this into a TV show. How, you know, would you, was that something you'd be interested in? I'm not interested in it, not not in the sense like that I would try to stop it from happening, but it's not something that I it's not something that I dream about. Sure. Like some yeah. people have the idea of like, well, I'm going to make this thing and then I'm going to pitch it uh actively and try to get a movie made I I, I don't know. I I don't have that app aspiration um if somebody has a vision for it and approaches me and you know it it seems like it would be a cool production then i you know i might be interested but um i i really made this book in a way that is i'm pretty particular about it Mm -hmm. um and i'm pretty particular about like the balance of uh, how everything works and and how it's tuned sort of in, yeah. in its storytelling. And I'm pretty happy with, with all of that. 
Um, and I've sweated over those details for so many years that the idea of turning it over and seeing it reverse engineered as it would have to be to right. fit another medium yeah. is kind of horrific to me. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. But if it happens and it's done well, like God bless it, I guess, but sure. it's not, yeah, it's not something I uh, think about a whole lot, I guess. That's a, that's a really good point is especially if, because there are a lot of creators that like that's the dream, right? Is they want to sell their like creator owned property into some kind of like sell it to Netflix, mega. yeah, yeah. Um, but especially if you have a project that's really personal to you that you you've put so much into the mm-hmm. idea of it, kind of getting like you said re engineered. Um, yeah, I don't understand it completely because I feel like comics is so hard. Why wouldn't you just make the movie? Like yeah. Right. It sounds crazy, but I think it's probably easier to quote unquote make it. <laughs> yeah. In Hollywood or wherever and, and just make films if you want to make films or movies or you know TV shows. Like right. it's a different way of telling stories and it's that you know it's every bit as legitimate as telling stories in comics. There's not one better than the other. Yeah. But yeah. comics is so work intensive. <laughs> like why would you use that as your st- as square one? I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I I've talked to people who work in the movie business and they're like and have worked in the comics business like and they're like it's way harder in comics to to make a go of it. And it makes sense like there's so much more money being spent. Yeah. There's so many more resources available. There's so much more culture in our country and and worldwide in support of film. It's like, um, so I feel like if you want to make a comic, you better have a damn good reason for it to be a comic. And you better like love the fact that it is a comic. Yeah. That's my stand. I I think that's a, that's yeah. (laughs) The best answer. Um, That's awesome. Uh, yeah, that, um, uh, yeah, every time we talk in the course, I've known you since 2009, which you were actually the first person that I met from Portland. You know that? Do you know how? Yeah. I, I just, I graduated from the Kubert school, um, whatever spring of 09, like, uh, you know, that's when colleges get out. Right. It's in the springtime. And, uh, we moved directly to Portland, my wife and I, and, uh, I had a horrible interview at Dark Horse that just did not go well. <laughs> uh, and uh, then they told me about the comic, you know, the, the the studio there. And I somehow came across your name and I emailed you out of just out of the ether, you know, like cold, just, hey, um, and kind of told you who I was and that I came to town. Well, whatever, just trying to yeah, just say hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, you sent me is back when dear creature was called sea freak. You uh-huh. sent me, I think it was the first three chapters in like, it was probably, I was probably like eight and a half by 11, like photocopy, like yeah. books. Yeah. You sent me this big packet of the first three chapters of, uh, of sea freak. And uh-huh. uh, yeah. Yeah. And that was, you were the first person that I ever met in Portland. And that's I, amazing. I yeah, yeah. Thanks for reminding I, me of that. It'd be amazing. Interesting to see if that, 
email still exists somewhere. <laughs> I probably have it. So yeah, I still have the, uh, it's somewhere on the shelf here, but I still have the, uh, the dear creatures. Um, uh, like I'm not, cool. yeah, cause I'm like, well, that's, that's the original. Like that's, that's yeah. before, before it went mainstream. Like that's before yeah. it went, it's gonna be worth money. Like, <laughs> you know. let's hope so. Let's hope that's so. Right. My um, well, we're pretty much winding down here. Yeah. Uh, right before we kind of turn off the lights and go home, we like to kind of go around and go over what everybody's reading. Kind of, it's a little bit of a book club. Um, most of the time we review comics because I'll be honest, um, that's what we re- read most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we're we sometimes you know throw in a little a novel or two or some type of literary working, uh, and you're our esteemed guest. So. Mr. Case, what uh, what's on the old nightstand? What are you reading these days? On the nightstand is the Count of Monte Cristo, the unabridged version, and I'm really enjoying that. Um, I say unabridged because it's like the first 200 pages of that thing is just amazing, and then it's like the, for the next hundred, 200, 300 pages, it's like where are we going? But <laughs> it's it's still it's still all really great. Um, and then I have uh, Craig Thompson's first nine issues of uh, Ginseng Roots. And that's, oh. I read the first couple and I'm yeah. kind of, yeah. I'm how, how is that? How is that? It's cool. It's kind of like a return to, you know, his, his history, his family um, stories and stuff like he did with blankets a bit. Um, it's gorgeously illustrated, of course. And, um, the format is interesting, you know, because he's doing it as comics issues rather than a graphic novel. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 really, I think it's beautiful. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I was lucky enough in Boise when he the first issue was about ready to drop. He advanced copies, and I had uh, some advanced copies of Cretaceous, and I got the table next to him, and oh, yeah. um, it was. Yeah, it was really interesting just getting to know him. And then, like, I'd only known him from Blankets. It's really the only thing I'd seen that he'd written because that was, like, you know, huge, <laughs> gigantic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was just cool uh, getting to see that book. I It was interesting that, it, again, that was, like, a very personal project for him. And, uh, yeah, some of the, like, stuff that he explored was just really, uh, really cool. It was, like, a really nice, like, kind of slice of Americana, I thought, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. How about you guys, Brian? What are you reading right now? So I'm still. We talked about it last issue or last episode, but I'm still currently in, uh, still reading Night Hunters right now. So it's graphic novel, uh, put out by Floating World. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, and it's by uh, here. I'll pull it up here by Alexis uh, Zirit and Dave Baker. Um, futuristic judge you know a lot it reminds me of judge dread you can tell these guys were fans of it and then i've got i've got like a a bunch of graphic novels sitting on my desk next to me that i need to read so like i've got profit uh birthright uh and then the first uh volumes one and two of space riders as well so i got i got quite a few i gotta i gotta get through here i'm falling behind (laughs) nice (laughs) yeah i didn't know floating world was publishing comics now yeah, neither did I. That was that was a new thing to me. I went to uh, my comic shop, Gabby's Olympic Cards and Comics, up here in Lacey, and I and I said, "Hey, give me like 
some real some like indie stuff and and this is definitely very indie and i love it our, our readers were getting they're getting mad because i read a lot of ninja turtles and batman because those are my favorites you know and uh <laughs> you know they don't buy me comics to read but they you know they get mad they're they're just the cheeto dust is flowing on their keyboard when they're wow. typing comments uh, <laughs> it's just always something with Bry, you know he's either losing episodes or he's <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right um well i read uh are you guys from are you Jonathan are you familiar with Robert Valley? I know Brian is cuz mm-hmm. I talked about him all the time. Do you know who Robert Valley is? No, who's Robert? He's a he's a Canadian animator. Um he's been doing some really interesting stuff. Uh but he did this great um comic. Well, it's kind of like it was I think he did it as a comic originally, but then he ended up turning it into animation. Uh but it's he did uh Parasiter and Cigarettes. And I was able to get my hands on a copy of it. There's not a lot of them, but it's just, he, he does a lot of, uh, it's about a guy who is struggling with addiction and it's a, it's kind of like a story from his life, uh, of Robert Valley's life. Like is like this friend of his and, uh, you can watch the, I think the, the, the movie, he, he animated it all. It's all up on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing, uh, pear cider and cigarettes. And, uh, and his buddy was like one of these guys that was like just naturally like this amazing athlete. And, uh, but he had addiction issues. And then like, he's one of those guys that uh, it's just an interesting story. Cause it's one of these guys who's like, he's got this amazing charismatic personality, but he didn't necessarily ever make the right choices. Never like really like work super hard or anything. He was just kind of naturally good at stuff. Naturally people naturally liked him. And so like you go, yeah, you know, it's his, it's Valley's perspective of this from his point of view. He draws a lot of like, kind of like, I don't want to say bird's eye view, but human eye view perspective. So it's like you're as the reader in the, you know, the, I guess the sit, sitting behind the pupil of Robert Valley viewing how he views his friend's life. And um, so you see the ups and downs of this character with his addiction, like how he, you know, he's couch surfing and then all of a sudden something happens and he's got a lot of money and he doesn't know, you know, to the point where it gets to the point where like he's in a, you know, a Beijing hotel or yeah, I think he's like a Beijing hotel or hospital and he's dying of, you know, he needs to basically have a transplant. And, um, you know, that means he has to quit, you know, the booze and the drugs and all that kind of stuff. And like, so it's Valley like staying there in the, the room with him for like weeks at a time to make sure that he doesn't um you know mess up so he can get this this liver transplant and then you know it's kind of a tragic story but it um if you should i i strongly recommend checking out valley's work he he's one of those he might be one of the most uh he might be one of the best animators. I should, I, should say, I should say one of the best storytellers in animation right now. The guy is just doing some amazing stuff. And the, his style, like, I mean, I know he did a bunch of music videos. I think he did like a Gorillaz music video. And he, he just did a uh, music video for like, uh, I think it was, oh, what's the song that Ozzy Osbourne and uh, Lemmy Kilmeister collaborated on? He just did a like a, a, a revamp of that, like wow. a, a new music video for that. But he's just a real 
kind of like fascinating approach to storytelling and his very stylistic, but he really kind of came out of that like radical, like nineties, um, you know, when you had a lot of like music and art were mixing, like kind of like almost, I want to say like tank girl kind of esque stuff. Like I think he did some tank girl animation for Uh the movie. I could see like Aeon Flux and and gorillas and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been wanting to get a hold of there's he, he used to do comics, but you can't find any of his stuff really. Um, and then I, fa- you know, I heard that he did, you know, he was co- slowly, occasionally would put out very small runs, print runs of some of these, like, uh, you know, I guess like comic movies that he was putting out on YouTube. And, uh, and so I, you know, I kind of, I don't normally buy used stuff, but I, uh, I mostly buy used books. But I spent the extra money to get my hands on this thing, so I was like, I got to get, it. I got to have a Robert Valley book on the shelf, you know, I like that. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. And then uh, I, I took, um, I took a page out of Bry's book, and he told me he got Space Riders. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I want to check out Space Riders. I want to go like read some psychedelic indie cosmic, you know, trip. You know, they're basically like space. I'm not space pirates, but like space special forces guys, like a small team of four commandos, and they're just ripping through the cosmos. The whole thing reads like a like an acid trip. It's pretty awesome, actually. Like I'm excited everybody. to dig into it. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, I thought Bri, yeah, I thought Bri would have actually had a red, but you know, just another letdown. Just, just, <laughs> just a total piece of garbage over here. It's just wow, yeah, just terrible. <laughs> But yeah, that's what I read. Um, but yeah, uh, Robert Valley. I can't say enough. I All would right. love to meet the guy. He stuff He's is on my Google Docs now. So there you go. Perfect. There you go. Well, I think uh, that's about it. Uh, Brian, you want to uh, start taking us home? Yeah, let's do it. So uh, Tiger Cubs out there, you know the deal. You know, if you want anything Blue Tiger related, all you need to do is go to our website, bluetigerrevenge.substack.com. That's the home of the Blue Tiger Revenge. That is the home of the webcomic Operation Blue. That is the home of everything great in this universe. It's the home of the intellectual dark dark web of comic book podcasting. That's us. If you want to send us an email, uh, just hit bluetigerrevenge at substack.com. Um you know, for any sort of whatever, if you want to send us a recommendation or please someone email and tell Tad that he's a piece of garbage because I'm tired of it. Okay. I'm tired of getting told <laughs> it's a piece of garbage. Um, but they don't tell you you're a piece of garbage. They just like to, you know, rip on you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so can someone not rip on me? Let's get some emails in ripping on Tad. I would oh. greatly appreciate it. I think uh, <laughs> the listeners out there would love it too. Uh, there's also links on the Substack to our T Public store where you can get some sweet revenge gear uh, for yourself, for your loved ones, for or someone if you hate them too, um, because that it says revenge on it, and then they'll know, they'll know that you're planning something, but they won't know when or how, and so they'll just be living in fear until you uh, wow. until you bring that plan home. So uh, yeah, that is all I have. Uh, actually, that is not. All I have. Uh, finally, want to thank Mr. Case, Jonathan Case, coming on. Uh, make sure you uh, pre-order his uh, new graphic novel, uh, Little Monarchs. I pre-ordered it just now while we were talking. So, uh, 
Uh, can't wait to can't wait to get my hands on. I hope you all get your hands on it as well. Uh, so, Jonathan, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. You guys have been great, and uh, your listeners. Uh, if, yeah, if you, Brian, if you need a break from the the firestorm of criticism, they can send me emails as well. Just pick on me for a while. I'm sure I've said enough, like probably five or ten pretentious things over the last <laughs> half. So <laughs> they, they can take their pick. Perfect. Uh, where where can the uh, the old Tiger Cubs uh, if they they're like, wow, this Jonathan Case guy, he's amazing. Where can they um, get more of you? <laughs> uh, uh, JonathanCase.net. Uh, I also have LittleMonarchsBook.com, which is for everything related to this book and the tour. And we've got like tour dates up there, and so you can oh, kind of follow along. Do you, do you mind if we post the tour dates in the notes? Not to interrupt you. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I have. It's mostly going to be um, the month of April and then um, the beginning of May. So uh, I can send that to you or you can. Yeah, you I, can I can, I'll just pull it off the side. It's fine. I don't want to. Yeah, be, I don't uh, bug no, that's all good. There's it's still kind of like formulating and getting solidified. So not everything is up there, but there's like some some of the big stuff is up there. OK, cool. Perfect. Oh, that's awesome. Perfect. Well, Tiger Cups, Tad, Jonathan, that is all I have. And Tad, I don't know, do you have anything else that you want to add? I have one more thing. Is it the same thing as the last two times? Yeah, it is, actually. Okay. Because okay. it hasn't happened yet. Okay. It's in the future, so we have to t- let people know. Okay. Uh, last but certainly not least, uh, folks, if you happen to be uh, in Anaheim this at the end of this month, I think this coming weekend... Uh, stop by the critical entertainment booth and get the next chapter of uh, chapter two of first Americans right there. At, I think it's WonderCon. Is that the name of the convention? I believe it's WonderCon. but yeah, pick it up. Or if not, wait a couple days and pick it up from their website. And that's all I, I have. I am all out of Tiger Milk. All right. Well, if that is the case, what time is it? Hit the music, sir.